So let's read John 1-1 together. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. We're going to go ahead and get started. Have you ever had to unlearn something that you learned before but didn't learn it correctly? Now, again, it doesn't mean that you've learned this passage incorrectly, but a lot of times we take God's word and apply it the way we want to in various situations because it works for us. And it does, it, it does speak to multiple areas, okay? Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. We're looking at verses 19 to 27. 19 to 27. All right. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives, um, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. All right. Hopefully this will uh, come back up. everything give thanks just doesn't seem to be powering up the lamp doesn't seem to be powering on like I said it may take a while for it to come back up and hopefully it will oh, for time's sake praise the Lord all right Respond 
to correction of God's word. Okay? How do I respond to the correction of God's word? How do we know biblical truth versus human opinion? Are there a lot of opinions out there today about what's right and wrong? Okay? A lot of things that we read on the net are, whether it's in internet concepts or blogs or opinions or sermons or whatever the case may be. How do we know the difference between the two? Between human opinion and God's word? Reading and memorizing the Bible. Well, human opinion doesn't even line up to the word of God. Human opinion doesn't necessarily line up to the word of God. But what do you do when it sounds good? Google it. Pardon? Google it. Google it. <laughs> but usually you can cross-reference and look for consistency to make sure, you know, other passages or back up what you're reading. And that will confirm your thinking as far as the scriptures are concerned. Absolutely. You, you compare and contrast it with the word of God. In other words, there's a lot of ideas that we get in our world today that sound really good, but can we take it back to the word of God to be able to, to consider, well, what does this really say? How do we really know these things? There are three basic responses to corrective information. Okay. In other words, sometimes we, ha we, we, we will hear from something from the word of God and God will say, you know, let's say the Lord. This is a truth, and we can see it in Scripture, and it's very clear to us, okay? But then we're gonna, may, we might struggle with it with our own personal experiences. We may, we may struggle with it based on our own personal situation. We may struggle with it based on what we're facing at this particular moment in our life, maybe with ourselves, maybe with a family member, or maybe with a friend, whatever the case, maybe with my job. We're trying to figure this out. How do I actually biblically respond? And there's three basically ways. Sometimes I reject it. Okay? When I reject it, what happens? When I reject the truth of God's word, what happens? You feel resistance automatically. Yeah. You feel resistance from whom? I mean, from, from the Holy Spirit, from, from that which is inside of you. I mean, you yeah. feel, it, it's like, it's like you said, you hold a mirror in front of your face. And you forget what you, what you know what you look like. So basically, I mean, for me myself, when I'm faced with something, I know that it just becomes more apparent to me and becomes more present. That that that, that which I'm actually trying to let go of, I'm not able to let go of. At yeah. That moment. So it, it, you know, immediately the Holy Spirit will be working on you to go. That's not right. Yeah. If we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you know, that's we're going to know that's not right. What else happens when I reject it? We become hardened to the word of God. We get hardened to the truth. Okay? We can also ignore it. We ignore it. In other words, we know this is the right thing, you know, this is the right thing to do. I'm just gonna forget about it. What happens when I forget it, forget about it, ignore it? Can come conviction can come? It doesn't change the scenario, does it? It's still there. I can ignore it all I want to and think it's going to go away over time. It's not going to be a big deal, but it will never go away. It will always be there. It's like, it's like uh, bitterness or anger. Uh, I'll, I'll put it aside, but it still comes right back up again. You know, there's this thing, if, and if you don't deal with it, you know, you're going to be convicted about it constantly. If you don't address it, it's going to be there. Okay? And it may be even things that you don't, uh, maybe it's, it's, you go, oh, that was wrong, or things that you just make mistakes on. 
that you just didn't even realize it at the time. But it comes back and the Holy Spirit will bring that back to you. Or I can accept it. When I accept it, what happens? Peace. Peace. Change. We change. Yeah, Bob. I think it comes back to what you were saying at the beginning. Yeah. So if we know it and we accept it, then we're actually doing, we're living the Christian life out in a real practical way. Yeah, Shalom. I think a lot of times um, my reaction tells me what what's true and what's not. Because if I react in anger, if someone disagrees, that's usually what I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, it seems like it brings the anger emotion if anybody opposes what you're doing as, oh, that shouldn't be here. Like, what? Yep. Um, so when I'm in the right I, or following Christ's word, I don't necessarily have that reaction. It's more peaceful towards whoever's telling me, you know, it's that when I'm trying to get something in there that's not quite, quite lining up, then I tend to have a little anger when they approach me. Boy, that's true. That's good. Why is it easier to know the truth than to live the truth? How many of you realize even you get into the Bible, you, you hear something at church, you hear something in, in, our, in your Sunday school class or life group, you're, you're watching something on television, you're hearing the truth, you know it. But why is it easier to hear the truth than to live the truth? Have you ever known what to do and chose not to do it because you didn't want to? Sure. Tish. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes very difficult, challenging to deny ourselves what's natural to us, what we feel like doing at that particular moment. You know, we want, to, we, we want to do the right thing, but then we also don't want to do the right thing. Who else said that? Yeah. <laughs> the Apostle Paul. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. You know, and he, he sees this war, and it's a reality for all of us. And we understand that. We will have that struggle. We will have that Number uh, Roman number number two, listening to God's word and responding in humility. James 1, 19 to 21. Someone read that for me. Uh, you, you read out of the, the, your Bible that you have before you. James 1, 19 to 21. Okay, go for it. All right. See, here there are three commands to holy living. Note, should, here at least, is not a suggestion, but is more emphatic. Okay, these are what you should do. Now, as a parent, have you ever told your child they should do something? But should isn't really an option. <laughs> Amen. You know? Pardon? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Right? In other words, you, if you're going to take all the advice, you still have the option to reject it. You have the right, even as a child of God, to reject it. But this is the right thing to do. And so that's what he's approaching with here. We should be quick to listen. We need to get God's word right. 2 Timothy 2.15. Somebody have that memorized? Uh, yes, I have it memorized, but I have my NIV in front of me. 
Perfect. That's even better. It's weird to read it this way. Uh, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles the word of truth. Memorize it in old school. Yeah. Who handles the word of truth correctly. In other words, when it's talking here in James chapter 1 about being quick to listen, it's specifically talking about listening correctly to the word of God. Now, I know we use this passage in relationships, you know, learn to be in everything that we do. We should learn how to listen. God gave us one mouth and two ears. So we should be listening twice and we should be talking and those guys. We, we, we get that. We hear that. And it's OK to use that kind of an analogy. All right. But in context of this passage, he's specifically addressing in relationship to the word of God. We should be listening actively to the word of God and, and, and doing it correctly. OK. We need to be slow to speak. Now, here's the thing. Think about this. How many times have we heard the word of God? It's telling us how to morally live our life. And we begin to debate the truthfulness for our own selves. Is that really how I'm supposed to respond? We begin to talk. We begin to you know, phrase things. We begin to or orchestrate our own thinking in this way to be able to go, is this really what I'm supposed to do? And we begin talking about it. We begin reacting to it. And he's, what he's saying is learn to listen to the word of God. Be slow to speak about it. Okay? And slow, then he says also, slow to become angry. We cannot listen when we are thinking about what to say or just focusing on sharing our views, okay? So we, we're listening to the word of God. Have you ever in a human relationship disagreed with somebody and before they're, as they're beginning to talk to you, they're giving their argument for why they believe what they believe. You're, you've stopped listening and you start listening, thinking about what, how you're gonna respond. Okay. How are you going to respond to that issue? I think all of us would probably say yes. So he's saying be swift to hear, uh, hear, slow to speak, and then slow to become angry. In other words, sometimes when we hear God's word, we're already thinking about our rebuttal. Why this doesn't apply to me? Why if this isn't working? You know, but God, you don't understand. Here's my situation. You want me to be truthful, but they can't accept the truth. They can't hear the truth. Lord, you want me to do this or that, but if I do, how will they respond to me? How will they feel? How will they treat me? And we begin to debate through all this, how are we going to this business transaction? Lord, you've asked me to turn the other cheek, but I don't feel it's appropriate to turn the other cheek right now. Uh, you, Lord, you want me to do this or that, and we begin to talk through in our minds. Lord, you say to trust you, but I feel more, feel more comfortable if I do this. Lord, I'll forgive her when she forgives me. Or when she does what she's supposed to, right? I'll do this, Lord. I'll act as a servant when I see it practiced by others too. I'll do this if you do that. And we begin to start talking through it. And what he says is stop. Be swift to hear the truth. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. 
Now think about this. Remember the context. He's writing to these displaced Jews because of persecution. So now they're no longer around family. They're living in a foreign land. And now they're going through this experience of having to deal with life. And they're hearing the word of God. They're learning about the word of God and they're trying to apply the word of God, but they're, they're displaced. Lord, you want me to be forgiving. Why? I'm being persecuted. I'm displaced. And they become angry. How do, why do you expect me to do this? Have you ever gotten angry with the word of God or with God? Because he's not doing it the way you would want him to do it. Or I don't want, you know, he's not doing it the way I want him to. I asked the Lord for this and I'm getting this. Uh, Lord, this is going on in my life. But you know what? I, I, this is how I'm going to treat this because I'm just quite honestly ticked off right now. And we, we, we live that way at times because we think God should work in a certain way. The way we want him to. We want to compartmentalize God into being the God of our choice instead of the God of who, who he is. This anger is not an explosive outburst. When it says slow to become angry, that's not the Greek word here. But it's an inner resentment. So in other words, what he's not talking about here is you get ticked off at God and you just start yelling at him. You're just mad at God and you let everybody know you're mad at God. No, it's private between you and God. <laughs> and you're in there seething. No one else may even know. Your spouse may not even know, but you're just ticked. Because you're not doing it this way, God. I'm not accepting it. What, what you've done in my life, I'm not accepting this. This is the kind of anger it is. It's this inner resentment that God's not doing it the way you want him to. Think about those displaced Jews. They want to be home. They want to be back in their country. They want a Messiah that's going to bring them back. Be conquering and victorious. But we're going through persecution. Are you kidding me? God, where are you? I thought you loved me. And if you love me, you're going to make me happy. And life is going to be tremendous. And all my financial needs are met. My health needs are going to be met. My children are going to be happy. We will have children beyond what we want. You know, it's like all, all this. It's like, and we start having this kind of a resentment towards God because he's not doing what they expected him to do. And that's why he says, listen to the word of God. And slow to speak and slow to become angry because God wants to do a work in your heart and life. Human anger does not accomplish God's purpose, the scripture says. Why do people get angry with God's word and those who preach and teach it? Why do we do that? Why, and I know you never have, <laughs> but when you talk to other people who are ticked off, why? Why is it that God, people get ticked off at God's word? I know for myself sometimes it's, it's guilt. Like you, you already feel that guilt inside. And so in, with that emotion, you tend to lash out and, and you know, project it back on that person. Or, sure. Or, yeah, that's good. It's so true that when we have our own guilt, that we kind of project it onto somebody else. We transfer the blame. And we try to move it away from us because we don't want to feel this guilt any longer. Thank you for sharing that. 
One of the, I think probably according to scripture, one of the worst places to be in the Christian life is to be in a place where you're independent from God. You don't need him. Because God has called us to live by what? By faith. And when we don't need God, we become independent from him. We become self-sufficient and we go down a path that's ultimately that will lead to destruction. God wants to keep us in a place of dependence because ultimately then we can be under his wing. And I know you understand this, or at least some of you in here do. We watch our children at times make decisions or we as children make decisions that mom and dad knew were wrong. Our children may make at times decisions that we know that are wrong and we want to control their lives, don't we? If we had a choice, we would control them. I know I would. Right? Now, we can't. And we don't like it when we can't because we ultimately see them maybe making choices that are destructive. And God wants to put us in a position where we will continue to trust him because he loves us. That we'll keep trusting in him and by faith believing in him and leaning on him. But you know what? The bottom line, just like our children, God gives each and every one of us in this room a choice. You choose. This day, who are you going to serve? Self? Others? God? The state? <laughs> who are we going to serve? We need, let us see, to humbly accept God's word and choose to live righteously. How do we do this? Someone read for me Romans 6, 11 to 14, since it still hasn't come up and given me the light, whatever that is. And I'm sure I'm doing something. There's something here that we go, oh, this is how you do it, but I don't know how to do it. live our lives according to Romans chapter 6 11 to 14 through the grace which is given us by God through the grace that's given us to us 
Okay. I mean, we don't deserve it, but it's given to us freely. And I think um, it's it's sufficient. But I mean, to be honest with you, at times I, when I get angry, I don't really, I don't, I don't see it clearly sometimes because my emotions are so in it. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, just believe in God and everything will be okay and and, and follow His word. And, but to be, if if I want to bear my soul for a second, I have an issue with that. I have a problem with that sometimes because when I am in that angry situation, I. My emotions are so in it, I tend not to see clearly sometimes what God is trying to show me. But I also know that, that he's seeing it different from what I'm seeing it. But, I mean, from a child who's dying of cancer that's never done anything wrong to the world, and he's dying, sometimes I have a problem questioning that. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you, bear my soul for a second. Sure. And the, the hardest thing is, is that what we, what we want to do is we, when we see those kinds of scenarios, for example, we get angry about that. Or trafficking that occurs or evil that occurs you know we could begin to go god if you're really loving why did you allow that to occur why did you allow my child to have this or my my family to, situation to go like this or why this occurred okay and the the hardest thing to remember the, and to put into practice because it's it becomes personal to us is we have to remember this was not the plan of god he's like last week's lesson He's not the author of sin. Sin came into the world through humans who made a choice that said, no, God, I stiff arm you. I'm going to do my thing. Sin came into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for all sin. In other words, sin ultimately is what brings the destruction around us. Not God. Because otherwise, he would have simply had to make us to be robots. It's like, for example, um, I have two daughters, and those two daughters I love very much, but there's no greater joy. We have three grandchildren now. There's no greater joy when we had Levi last night, when he looks up at us and goes, Pop, love you, Pop. There's, okay, that's it. It's over, you know. You can have anything you want. But if he were programmed that way, if he were made not to hate Pop, with the ability to go, I hate you, Pop, then what's I love you, Pop, mean? Zero. Nothing. Zero. If he was, pro if he's a computer program, programmed to love, it's meaningless for me. God had to create us with the ability to stiff arm him. And bring death into the world. And all of this evil that we see around us is the, ultimately the, res, the result of human, human will. Not the heart of God. His heart is broken over that. But we become angry and frustrated because we don't like it. We don't like this, what's going on. And that's when God calls us to go, then be holy. Because I'm holy. And we look at this, so, you know, we... We need to humbly, it says, verse, uh, letter C, humbly accept God's word and choose to live righteously. And he says, how do we do this? Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. In other words, you've got to choose it. I've got, you've got to offer your body as an instrument of righteousness and not of unrighteousness. We choose to live holy instead of unholy. Okay. 
responding to God's word by following God's word. James 1, 22 to 27. Someone read that for me. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So in other words, we need to be intent about not just listening to God's word, but doing it. I don't know about you, but when I get ready in the morning, this may be TMI, but you know, I, I, I get dressed and I put on my gel and I whatever, and I'm putting fixing my hair so it's going in the right direction. Um, and then I get dressed. Skip that, yeah. Yes. <laughs> the hair gel, you know. It, it looks more like sheen. <laughs> and so we, 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 we do, I do this, and then I get ready. But I, I, I will typically always, 100% of the time, wear a t-shirt. It, it's almost inevitable. I always wear a t-shirt, typically. Um, and then I will leave the house. Cheryl will kiss me goodbye. This is a ritual. She will stand typically at the door, and as I drive by, she waves. Okay? It's like, you know, the, the movie um, Ever After. You know, it's a ritual. You gotta wave goodbye. Okay? Well, I can invariably get to work. I have like on Mondays and Wednesdays, I have an 8.15 class. So I'm getting to work, I'm going to the office, getting my stuff ready, walking out the door, walking to class. I will come back to the office after class, and I'll typically, you know, if I go to the restroom, there's a, a mirror there. And I will look at myself in the mirror and gasp. Because there'll be a piece of hair or a chunk of hair that's went up like this because when I put my t-shirt on, it messed my hair up some way and I didn't go back to the mirror and fix it because I thought what I was looking at originally is still the way it is. And when I kissed my wife goodbye, you would think she would say, Lou, fix your hair. But she doesn't notice it. She, she just sees her handsome husband. It doesn't matter what he looks like. I can't tell you how many times I went, Cheryl, how come you didn't say something? I mean, literally, I'm just alfalfa. So I'm, I'm having to get myself to the place when I get to the office to run to the bathroom real quick to look because otherwise it's like, oh, man. Well, when we live our lives, when, we're, when we are listening to God's word but not doing it, it's like we look in the mirror and forget what we look like. That analogy, that perspective is this. Listening to God's word is good. There's nothing wrong with listening to God's word, and that's encouraged for all of us. Reading it, listening to it, meditating on it. But to not do it. Again, I'm going to use a parental perspective here. Have you ever tried to teach your child the truth about something? And they hear you, they're listening to you, and then they turn around and do the exact opposite. Does that not frustrate the fire out of you? You know? And you're just kind of like, oh, 
I, I, I have to constantly adjust my attitude because of that. it's like, why don't you understand it? Why is it a deception to only listen to God's word? Isn't that a good thing? But why does it, scripture say it's, we're deceived when we think listening to it and not doing it's okay? That's a question for you to answer. Why are we deceived when we only listen to it and not do it? Because if you only listen to it and don't do it, do you really believe it? Great. The only point of Scripture is to change us. So if we're not applying it, then it can't change us. Yeah, Eric said that the purpose of God's Word is to change us, not just to make us feel good. You know? Yeah. It's more like exercising. You should watch them do it on TV or whatever, but once you get up and actually do it or go, then you don't really get any results. You're not going to change it. A body in motion tends to stay in motion. A body at rest tends to stay at rest. It's like, yay! Well, right. like God's Word says, we're drawn away because of our own lust. Right. We're drawn away by our own lust. How do we actively listen to the Word of God so we don't forget it? There's some ideas here. We read or listen with a purpose. Romans 10, 17. Someone read that for me. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word Faith comes by hearing the message. Hearing the message of Christ. In other words, we can put this into practice. We can listen to God's word, but we actively listen to it by reading and listening with a purpose. Why? To build, develop faith. To really trust God. We reflect on it. Joshua 1.8. Who's got that memorized? Or wants to read it? But this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but you shall meditate in it when? Day and night. Day and night. Meditate upon it day and night. Reflect on it. Oh, okay, so you've heard me say this a hundred times, but why hear me say it another hundred? Lord willing. Okay? We're too busy. We're too busy. A lot of times we allow busyness, noise interfere in reflecting on God's word we get in the car we turn a radio on we go home, we turn on the television or the radio or listen to something we get on our computers, we get on our phones we, we, we're, we're engaging with information and knowledge, we're extremely knowledgeable but we're not reflecting on it and we're not taking the time to actually be still and know that he's God we're not being still and, and memorizing and meditating on that word to really changes internally because it's in the still small voice of God in the quietness of life that we really hear God. But when we're so busy with noise, we can't hear it. And we don't reflect on it and really understand how do I apply this to my own life? That's the key. How do I really change? We put it into practice, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. We have these promises, dear friends, and let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of the reverence for God. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Here's, here's the statement. 
take the pin out of the grenade, throw it. Can you be perfect? The answer really is yes, but the practicality of it is no. Has God commanded us to be perfect? Yes. Is God unjust? Is God unrighteous? Why is God asking and demanding of us to do something that he knows we can't do? That's not fair. If it's not. But can we now, not in ourselves, but walking in the spirit of God and in his word, can we live righteously? Yes. So to say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Woo-hoo, thank you, Jesus. And living a life of sin is opposed to God and his word. So in other words, we have to actively choose righteousness. We can do that as a follower of Christ with the Holy Spirit living within us. When we die to self, as we talked about earlier, and live through him, we can live righteously. We don't have to sin any longer. We do. First John 1 John 1.8 says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay? That's a reality. But the passion of my heart, Lou, don't make a sin an excuse in your life because that's just what we do. Uh-uh. Actively pursue righteousness out of reverence for God. So my daily life should be actively pursuing to be more like God, to be more like Christ in everything. He'll bless that. Teach it to others. Matthew 5, 19. Who's got that? Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these, one of the least of these commandments, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what's happening. In Matthew 5, he basically says this. If you distort the word of God and teach others, you may be a follower of Christ, but you'll be considered least in the kingdom of heaven because you're turning people away. But if you if you teach the truth, okay, you'll be considered great in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm, and I'm not talking about just teachers who that's what they do at full time, not pastors and teachers. All of us. You as a, 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 I'm a layman like you are. And so when we teach the word of God in truth, God recognizes that and values that in our life. Okay. But what does he say here? It is, it, why is this so effective? Why is it effective? Why is it, what does it produce when we teach others to, to do righteously? We're not just listeners, but why is teaching it so transforming? Because God said his word will not return void. Sure, it doesn't return void. But you're taking on a responsibility. You're, you're an ambassador of Christ now, so all of a sudden you take on this responsibility of teaching his word to other people. So it's like a pastor or somebody else has a certain responsibility to God. You're taking on that commitment. You're taking on that responsibility. Excellent. What else? Yeah. You can't teach something that you really don't know or that you're not practicing. Think about the value of teaching God's word. Will you teach it and live something completely opposite as a general practice? No. no, why? Because if you did, you'd be what? You'd be a hypocrite. You don't want to be a hypocrite. Let me tell you something. 
This class has been going on for 27 years plus. Uh, Cheryl and I taught at, at college age for several years prior to that and all those kinds of things. I have benefited more from this class than you have. Done. I, I guarantee it. Why? Because I've had to study it. It's one thing to hear it and walk out of here. And so let me encourage you to do this. Let me encourage you to pray about something. Asking yourself this question, God, how do you want me to teach your word? How do you want me to teach your word? Is God calling you to lead a life group here at Thomas Road? A small group, a house group. Is God calling you to do something outside of your comfort zone so that you're getting the word of God in to your life? Now, the warning, obviously, as we close up here, James 3.1. What's that warning? James says it. Not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. <laughs> greater judgment can come on teaching. Why? If, it, if it's a, such a blessing, why can greater condemnation come? Judgment come? Because of the potential leaders. What? So you're, if, you're not, if you're teaching wrong, you're not teaching the truth? To potentially lead somebody astray because people tend to follow what they listen to if they have your respect. Now, if I, if I wasn't respected by you, you wouldn't be here anyways. At least I hope not. I wouldn't be here if I didn't respect me. But that doesn't make me perfect by any sense of the imagination, by the way. I am a sinner, right? Though I want to be holy. The point is, is that when you begin teaching it, I don't care at what level. Some of you are in high school. Some of you are in college. Some of you are retired. It doesn't matter who you are. God wants to use you to teach somebody. So who are you teaching? And what is God calling you to do? Religion, let us see, must be authentic. The word for religion means the outward living of one's faith, such as church attendance, practicing the ordinance, spiritual disciplines, etc. Okay? True religion. When it's lived out in our life, if we're really living by are the ordinances of the church, you know, going to doing the things of church, okay, if it's undefiled by doing two things, he said, take care of the widows and orphans. But is, is that it? No. That was the great need of this culture because widows and orphans couldn't provide for themselves, period. And he's writing to these people who are displaced because of persecution. They have nothing. Take care of them. In other words, sacrifice what you do have for those who have nothing. In other words, in your circle of influence, we're not going through persecution like they were. But where can you meet real needs now? That's when you put your religion into practice. You can go to church, you can do the ordinances, you can take, you know, be baptized, you can take communion, you can do the church disciplines of worship and, and fasting and praying and all these kinds of things. But that is means nothing, zero, if it's not practiced in our daily life of really meeting the needs of others. The truth of our faith then is re revealed by what we say is revealed by what we do and by what we don't do 
the truth, this is great. Meeting like this is awesome. But if we walk out of here and don't say the right things and do the right things and not do the wrong things, what we've done here becomes meaningless. It's got to be something lived out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, the truth of it. God, may we be hearers of it, but also doers of it. To rely on your Holy Spirit and your word, to know what to do, what not to do, and how to live it every day. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. Have a great week. Thank you.